and welcome to Political Dharma. I'm Alan Zundell. In my episodes this year, I've been talking about updating socialist philosophy, socialist ideas to be a better fit for the times that we are living in. And so far, I've focused on things like what kind of uh, medium-term picture of society that we would like to construct, let alone the long term, like where is this going? Ultimately, leave that aside and just say, well, what kind of a realistic socialist society could we create in the medium to near term? And then what kind of program, programmatic features of policy features, and what kind of strategy politically or economically would be the most fitting for that kind of vision? So those are the things I've been talking about in the first three episodes this year. And today and next week as well, most likely, I don't think I can cover this subject in one day, I'm going to broaden the focus in the uh, philosophy of socialism and our ways of thinking about it to include or at least to address issues like uh, human behavior, <laughs> ethics, psychology, religion, spirituality. Really, my topic I'm heading toward is socialism and spirituality, how a spirituality could inform the future of socialism. And I want to emphasize that by spirituality, I'm not talking primarily about religion in the way that we think of religion as composed of doctrines and particular institutions and um, rituals or practices or artifacts like paintings and icons and, you know, all symbols of the religion. Leave aside that and think of spirituality much more in the modern sense that people would say, I'm spiritual, but not religious. What they're saying by that, and I would apply that to myself as well, this is a particularly modern concept, I think. You wouldn't have heard it 100 years ago, let alone in more ancient times, is that there is some kernel of religion that has to do with development of the full human potentiality, that we can, in a sense, become better people. The reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to address the, uh, the skepticism toward a vision of socialism in which I am picturing and has long been pictured by socialism, a society in which people's basic needs can be well met and they're living together harmoniously without a lot of conflict to the point where eventually a government based on coercion would no longer be appropriate or needed, that we could get rid of things like jails and police and government use of force and even military once socialism had spread around the globe. So that vision of going towards that less coercion in life and more of a democratic, voluntary type of thinking through how we're organized in society and what we want to accomplish, especially in the realm of economics. If we could cooperate and plan better in how we uh, produce the things we need for society, then there wouldn't be as need, there wouldn't be such a cause for fighting and strife and the need to keep people in line and uh, protect each other from ourselves. So this is what I'm aiming at, is to make more realistic a sense that a socialist society is possible. And it's going to revolve around issues such as 
whether people in general are capable of being better than we ordinarily see them behaving. I don't want to say exactly how much a society you can expect to be um, good people. I mean, socially minded people that are not simply pursuing their own self-interest at the expense of other people, but are actually keeping other people's needs in mind and behaving in such a way that people can get along better. I don't know how many people we can expect to live up to that type of uh, standard, but there's a lot of positions you can take on this, right? That there would be very few people that come to that and it would be good to somehow get those people into positions of power if you need any positions of power which is one point of view I'm going to be talking about a little bit later, or a great many people, maybe all, but a great many at least, of ordinary people are capable of working together harmoniously without the need for outside force to get them to do that. And on that side, it has more to do with notions of the possibilities of human um, development of the best human capacities. By that, I'm going to go beyond what when socialism started was the main idea of what needed to be developed in people, which is reason and understanding, like a scientific understanding of society would give people a better understanding of where their best material interests lie. Um, so I want to go beyond reason to talk about traits that could be thought of as more psychological, like the development of greatest, greater empathy and what the obstacles to living out of empathy would be. And I, I think there is primarily past trauma and also habits that are inculcated by the institutions we have. And beyond that into the realm that would be more closely connected with the word spirituality is what I would prefer to call intuition, to take it out of the realm of the purely supernatural into more of a, an immediate um, type of human experience. That is how we can develop the capacity to sense how we should move in the world, how our, um, not just our behavior toward other people, but really what our role is in society, what our particular individual place in the overall whole is and where we're leading this towards to kind of tap into some kind of universal sense of guidance. Um, yeah, it's a spiritual concept and it may even have to entail the idea of God, not necessarily the, the way that People sometimes present God as very patriotic, patriar patriarchal, um, kind of a father figure with uh, giving commandments that people have to obey, but more, God more in the sense of some kind of universal love or universal guiding principle that people can tap into. So that's what I'm handing at, is the role of that type of modern sense of spirituality, kind of abstracted from religion, but also um, something that had been originally nurtured within religious forms. That's not all religion is about, obviously, but that kind of kernel of spirituality coming out of religious traditions and being looked at in modern times as something that could be identified in itself, either by the popular public or in the minds of people that study religions. And um, I forgot where I was going with this, but so where am I going? Uh, so, what I want to get at is two ways of thinking about this. One, that you have to change the institutions to change the kind of behaviors people evidence. 
And that's one way of thinking of human nature is that we're always going to need that kind of guidance from above in some form or guidance from the institutions we live within. And here I'm, I would refer to one of the quotes of James Madison, who is often called the father of the US Constitution, in which he said, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. And he's in that phrase, expressing skepticism toward the idea that people could be on their best behavior and we had better plan how to govern ourselves given that most people are not angels. Here, I'm not talking about people becoming angels per se, I think that's an exaggeration, but just being, being the kind of people that can live together harmoniously. That's, that's, you know, that seems more achievable than everybody being a saint in some sense, perfectly self-sacrificing or uh, something like that, but developing our ca capacities to live together more successfully. Do people have the potential to do that? Do ordinary people have the potential to do that? One side says you got to change the institutions in order to change the behaviors of people. The other side leans more toward the idea that you got to change the people in order to, for any kind of institutions to function. And on that side would be people who are more interested in spirituality and they would say, you know, forget about changing institutions or setting up socialism or something like that. That's not going to be enough. What you need is to change the way people are and make them into the kind of people that can make things work no matter what kind of system they were. I think both sides are um, too simplified in that presentation. I think it's somewhere in between. But really what I'm aiming at is saying that I think ordinary human beings do have the potential to live cooperatively with each other if we're consciously um, intending to develop those types of features and making use of the knowledge that's been accumulated over time and is coming to some kind of fruition in our own times, make use of that knowledge. So, all right, obviously this is gonna impinge upon socialist philosophy in a number of ways. If we think of Marx as the most influential philosopher of socialism, which he is for good reason, I would add, Marx is often thought of as discounting things like ethics, uh, certainly supernatural ideas that were closely associated with religion or that God somehow dictated to us a moral code we had of behavior and developed a materialist conception of history. That is not simply materialistic in the sense that our material reality that we perceive is all there is to reality, but in the sense that fundamental feature of human life is using our minds and our labor to extract from other resources on the planet, what we call natural resources, the means for us to survive and thrive and pass on our genes to future generations. So that material uh, necessities of human life, food, land, clothes, shelter, heat, all those kinds of things, how they're produced by human labor is really the driving force of history and behind all the developments of politics as well. He has the famous metaphor of the base and the superstructure, which is that economic change has, is the most important factor in explaining culture, things like ideas, religion, and all the rest. It's been said that Marx stood Hegel on his head. Hardly anyone knows who Hegel is anymore, but to greatly oversimplify a very complicated system of philosophy, 
Hegel was um, proposing the idea that society and history developed through ideas, through the clash of one idea against a seeming contrary idea, and then the resolution of that would somehow advance to a new synthesis of, of those two ideas, and then that would form another contradiction, and that would move forward. So the idea was that through history, ideas about uh, reason, really, the development of human reason through this clash of ideas would be bringing us closer and closer to an ideal society, because then we could apply that kind of reason to uh, our social institutions to evaluate them. And it would just see itself working itself out through that dynamic process. Well, Marx stood it on the head in the sense that he said, it's not ideas that are driving the train. It is how we produce things and the re social relations that we have around the production of things. That is that the contradictions come in from the division of society into classes. One class, the class that controls property and therefore directs labor. And the other class is the class of people who actually do the work and are doing the work under the control of the property owning class. And so there's a contradiction and a tension between them that will be resolved in a different class arising and eventually arise in the end of classes altogether, the overthrow of class. And we have that ideal uh, society. I don't want to use the word utopian, even though it's uh, appropriate because Marx and Engels would want themselves be called utopians. So uh, Marx, as I said, in a, in, a, in a way, he discounted ideas, he discounted religion, he discounted all these artifacts of culture as not as important in the whole social process as fundamental material reality of we have to survive. Now, he wasn't always that stark. And when he did his analyses of more contemporary, his contemporary political events, he left some room for showing not only how this uh, economic relations and the tensions between classes, the conflict between classes were driving political events, but how political events also had, there were other factors that were involved. It was just a matter of which were the primary and which were the secondary, but it wasn't that the uh, other factors had no independent influence on things. So I'd say rather than saying that he stood Hegel on his head in the sense that instead of ideas and culture and things like that being of prime importance, now it was material reality and the other things just fell to the bottom. I'd say it was a little more skewed that that cultural stuff, ideas, religion, art, culture, all that has some influence on the way things go, but still the, the most fundamental factor is class division and the ways that we provide for ourselves uh, socially to create the things we need for survival. So I would agree that that part of Marxism is important. It was an important development, the insight of how fundamental economic conflict was and is in driving politics and history and the rest. But I think after over a century of experience, we can also say that there's things that Marx didn't sufficiently take account of. And one of them is you know, subjectivity. How people view their world is gonna have more to do with shaping their political and economic behavior than their material interest. Their position in the class does not always, their, their position in class division does not always predict how they're gonna see things. So how do ideas have this independent function of shaping people's ideas? 
that thread was further developed by a lot of subsequent Marxist theorists, especially when they began applying psychoanalysis, uh, Freudian psychoanalysis to understanding people's behaviors and how unconscious motivations might be shaping people's ways of seeing the world. Uh, but that whole thread of how is ideology implicated in all this is important. And what I want to do today is leave some of that uh, further explanation of that part of it to the next episode. In this episode, I want to focus specifically on the time of the American Revolution and the adoption of the American Constitution. And that's because socialism developed out of this movement to establish constitutional republics, which is what the American Revolution and the French Revolution would happen just slightly after the American Revolution, about a dozen years afterward, I think, not more than 20 years. Uh, those revolutions were about trying to change the political situations without necessarily changing economic relations. And socialism was born as a movement that looked toward furthering that cause of human freedom and human control over life towards the economic and not just the political. Now, back at the time of the revolution, the American Revolution, there was a big shift in how authority was, uh, how the ability of authority to get people to obey them by ideological means of controlling them. There's a big shift from the uh, kings, monarchs of the late feudal times when drawing from feudalism, authority was backed up by religion, that the idea was that power came from the top down, from God, who really was in charge of everything, to uh, the kings that were put in power by God's providence, by God's arranging history, such that certain people would be put in power, and then their power would be used to control essentially sinful human behavior for the well-ordering of a society. So it was a top-down model based on religious ideas. And at the time of the revolution, because they were trying to overthrow monarchical authority, there was also a problem with religious authority. Now, this goes back even further because of how the, the dominance of the Catholic form of religion in the feudal times was broken up in the Protestant Protestant uh, rebellion, what's the word about Protestant revolution? Protestant, the Reformation, <laughs> the Protestant Reformation, so that authority became fragmented between different states and you had different states, some Protestants, some Catholic, fighting with each other. And that whole experience led toward a disillusionment with religion and also a, a inquiry into the foundations of religion and religious authority because you have these conflicting versions of Christianity proposing different um, grounds for the authority of the rulers in different states. That is, is it based on Catholic tradition and the Pope and bishops having some say in determining who's the legitimate ruler? Or is it based on uh, more of a Protestant notion of people have the ability to interpret the Bible for themselves and therefore people should have more control over their own lives and churches, some churches were created from the bottom up. The idea that it was power flowed into elected uh, ministers who then elected bishops, overseers. And that came, 
you know, ushered in the era of more democratic thinking. And it finally overthrew religion entirely when you had these more secular states like uh, the United States of America and France after the French Revolution, before there was a restoration of monarchical authority temporarily, both proposing a system of government in which authority was based on the people, not on religious concepts and not any kind of authority from above, that the rulers derive their power only from the consent of the governed. So therefore people in some sense were thought of as um, legitimately having some control of their government. And that's what Republic means. It means power in the hands of the people. Now, how they thought that power could be expressed by the people varied from one person to another. And I want to contrast in particular the ideas of two American founders, and that would be James Madison, who was later became president, but he was the prime mover in getting the Constitution adopted much late, well, about 12 or so years after the American Revolution was declared. So the revolution was over, and then they decided this too much democracy in the states and they wanted to create a different form of central government, uh, a more powerful one than just the weak confederacy that they had. His views, James Madison's views, and the views of Thomas Jefferson, who despite his holding of slaves and his probably his views about um, the inferiority of Africans, did have a more democratic vision for at least white people. He thought ordinary people were more capable of uh, controlling government in, in a good way than uh, James Madison did. So I want to contrast their two views to lead into this topic because it impinges on all these areas of ethics and religion and reason and governance and all the rest of it. All right, so let's start with James Madison. James Madison in the uh, Federalist Papers, which were a series of newspaper articles defending the adoption of the constitution that a small group had composed, a small group of elites uh, people that had some social and political and economic prominence in the early uh, United States. These folks got together, a small handful of them, and created a constitution, which they are now trying to get the states to adopt. And their motivations had a lot to do with skepticism towards the ability of common people to govern themselves. Now, Madison saw democracies as always prone to strife that people had a natural tendency towards, um, say it this way, let, let's look for the quote from Federalist number 10, in which he says that the latent causes of factions are thus sown in the nature of men, and he means that people by nature are prone to divide over differences of opinion and differences of especially differences in their property relations between those who have property, those who don't, and those who have different forms of property, such as property and land for agricultural uses, like in the South, the American South at the time, or property in the form of money and commercial interest, and even early manufacturing, which would be more characteristic of the North. But he saw all these different economic interests as influencing people's political opinions, and they would be setting those interests against other people's interests to the point where even people would be fighting over things, as Madison says, like trivial things, even like their opinions of different leaders and uh, different views of religion. 
and all kinds of things that these, these this would cause democracies to factionalize that it was in the nature of human beings to divide up over opinions and def passionately defend those opinions rather than trying to get an overview of the whole and taking more what he would call a wise and prudential kind of statesmanlike viewpoint so they wanted a way to check and rein in that kind of factionalized um, division in society. And that was how he defended the Constitution as creating an institutional structure, primarily in making government um, on a broader scale than the state governments had, creating a national government, really a federal government that had some elements of state power and some elements of a government over the, all of the states, how extending the territory for a new government, the, a, a government with a larger extent of territory could put a check on the forces of democracy within the states and that either or both ideally, either the most statesmanlike people would rise to the top of power. And here he thought of people like himself and the other elites because they had a general belief that those who had property um, had property because their personal virtuous characteristics, like they were, um, they were looked toward the future and they saved what they had and they worked hard and they were more intelligent probably. So they were able to gain property, whereas other people did not apply themselves as much or they weren't quite as bright or they just didn't have such a uh, ability to restrain their themselves from wasting their resources. So he saw an elite rising to the top or failing that at least you could keep the factions in check by a system of representation and separations of power in the government and all the rest of it. So it was an institutional solution to his skepticism towards human nature in general. Now, Jefferson on the other hand was much more democratically inclined. He was inclined to have more faith in ordinary people and want to see less government. He was a reluctant supporter of the Constitution because he recognized some of the um, necessity for it in divisions between the states after the revolution, how things were not quite working out. But his idea was that people would could become more able to work harmoniously and to develop the kind of intelligence and thrift and far-seeingness, you know, foresight, I guess that's the word they want, through the division of property more equally. If people had their own property to take care of, and, and we're thinking here mostly about a time of agriculture where most people were engaged in growing things for people to eat or to wear. Um, he thought property should be more equally divided, that they should make land in the West more available to people because if people had their own property, they would have to exercise good characteristics in order to develop that property and that would make them more capable of participating in governance in a way that was not purely selfish or um, you know, short-sighted but would it take a larger view so that was his idea that by spreading property ownership you could create better character and he also at the same time believed in development of human reason let me emphasize the first point a little bit, again, to go back and say the difference between Madison and Jefferson. Madison had skepticism toward the ordinary people's ability to behave in such a way that you could have some kind of harmonious cooperative society like 
later on socialists would envision, whereas Jefferson had a more democratic vision that it was actually possible for people. So Madison's solution was to change institutions. Jefferson's solution was to help develop the kind of character you needed. And you can see both those things present in the socialist tradition to some degree. There's the idea that if we first set up socialist institutions and in the Soviet Union, that meant from the top down, right? You got a small group in charge and they then tried to change the institutions of society and hope that people would then live up to the institutions form new habits. Skepticism towards that path because it didn't work out quite that way. Um, so that part is reflected in the socialist tradition, but also the more democratic tradition that people are actually capable of working together and sharing their economic fortunes. Democracy has always been an important element of socialism. The belief in the capabilities of ordinary people to develop in the kind of people that could create a society in which you needed less coercion and all the rest. So the element that I didn't talk about too much yet was how Jefferson saw, okay, and this was widespread at the time, that religion helped shape moral behavior, that is the ability to people to live within society by putting a check on their, you know, covetousness, that, you know, stealing from other people, wanting other people, what other people had, or they're fighting over, you know, sexual uh, adultery and, and the rest of it. But in general, he saw religion as holding, uh, keeping people in check to some degree. But there was, at the time, most of the founding generation had a lot of skepticism towards the supernatural elements of religion because of what I said earlier, that history of religious conflict and then looking into is, you know, is any of this true at all? How much can we rely on this? One of Jefferson's project was to create a New Testament in which he threw out all the supernatural elements and kept Jesus's moral teachings. The aim here was twofold. Number one, to extract out from religious tradition and ethics that could still shape people's behavior without founding it in all the, what he would regard as doctrinal absurdities and supernatural elements of traditional Christianity. And he thought you could not only extract out a set of ethical principles, but you could through reason develop those principles into a more, um, into a better fashioned and more persuasive case for educated people in particular, but also for ordinary people as they became more educated. He was big on education, reason, founder of the University of, of Virginia. So he believed in widespread ownership of property, education into ethical behavior, really. And what I wanna say, this is, sets me up for talking about socialism next week and how some of those common threads come into socialism and its attitude towards religion and ethics and uh, politics and economics. Um, and to give a short preview here, uh, the project of irrational ethics, I think, has failed. I think the foundation of ethics really is in empathy and the development of the human capacity to recognize other people as being the same as themselves, in a sense, that everybody has the same worth is an important underlying force of ethics. That element 
of religion. You know, sometimes there, sometimes not, but it really is stressed in most religions in the world, either in the form of compassion, really the word would be compassion more than empathy, but you know, love your neighbor as yourself and Buddhist compassion and the rest. So that, that idea of development of human, um, some human element of compassion or empathy for other people is as important at least as reason. And we're moved into an era where that psychologically and spiritually is something of interest and importance towards the future of socialism because it relates to who we look toward as the driving engine that's going to make socialism happen and how all that affects our views of class conflict and socialist strategy. There's a number of threads here going back to Marxism and ways in which I think Marx needs some revision, especially in this element of how human beings can develop into the types of people that could actually live within a socialist society. So that's where I'm heading. Uh, what else do I want to say about that other than my views about this came from you know, those who watch the show probably know me as somebody that has had a long time interest in politics and in political economy. But those people may not necessarily know another side of me, which has been a long-term interest in spirituality and religion that came in part from the fact that I was raised in a moderately religious household. And re after leaving it as a teenager, returned to it for a number of years in my adult life because I had particular experiences that made me feel like there was more to life and more to human consciousness than what we thought. Use of psychedelic drugs, part of that. Practice of meditation over many years, big part of that. And like spontaneous, what I would call psychological or spiritual experiences is part of that too. All this helped shape my worldview. And I had an intense interest in understanding religions. Therefore, I become fairly well-versed in the more academic approach to religions, which has yielded a lot of insights into the the fundamental nature of religion and um, our evolving views of it, which have a lot to do with the encounter with Eastern religions, changing our concepts of religion. All right, I'll get into that more next week. That's probably more than enough for this week. Uh, hope you find it interesting. If you have, make sure you sign up someplace so you can know when new videos are ready to view. I usually produce them about once a week, come out sometime on the weekend if I'm able to stay on track. So you can go to YouTube, my political Dharma channel. You can hear me on a number of audio podcasts under the name Political Dharma. I also have a Facebook page. May not, um, nobody so far has signed up there, but that's another, if you use Facebook regularly, you could follow my Political Dharma Facebook page. That'd be another way of keeping track of these. I'd like to hear your comments and questions. Really appreciate it when you hit those notification buttons, like these videos or podcasts, share it with other people, and you know, give me some feedback. All that's great. Closing once again with some music from Patty Rose. We Little Todd is the name of the music, and you can find his stuff online as well, Patty Rose. Thanks. Bye for now.
ways I see, the chains are breaking. We gained our focus, the moves we're making will prove to determine our self-worth as a passenger on this vehicle. Earth.